This is episode number 16 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. And we're going to head straight into the interview today as I speak with Claire Verney and we're discussing perpetrator programmes. Hi everyone, welcome to Hashtag Abuse Talk. I'm delighted to have Claire Verney with us today and we're going to be discussing um, perpetrator programmes. It's something I'm quite excited about because we haven't actually discussed this aspect before um, and Claire has worked in a family court team for a domestic um, violence charity for many years and one of her main jobs was to review um, CAFCAS referrals for the perpetrator program. Um, so before we start though I have to say a big thank you to the main sponsor which is Rockpool and they deliver trauma-informed um, programs. They actually have a new tier out for their ABC of trauma so you can actually become a trauma-informed educator now so do check them out at rockpool.life and I also want to say I haven't done this on the YouTube channel but I want to say a big thank you to my patrons um, on hashtag abuse tier on my Patreon account, and that's Kat Hay and Susan Rahima. Um, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore if you want to support the efforts. Um, and there's going to be voting powers in the near future, um, and you also find out about the upcoming themes and news before everyone else. But let's get into it because I'm really excited to talk with Claire about the perpetrator programs and also what Claire's doing now. So Claire, can you just, first of all, just give a bit of an introduction to, to you and what you do? Hi. Um, well, I live in Nottingham. I have a five-year-old son, so that takes up a lot of my time. Uh, but I uh, run a team of uh, domestic abuse experts who provide assessments, consultancy and training to social workers um, and to the family courts. Um, so that, that's what I'm doing at the moment. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, we're we're going to try and unpick everything and we've got questions that have been brought in by other people as well. Um, but for me, I would like to know um, about the perpetrator programmes um, and, you know, your, your referral with that. So can you tell us just a bit about perpetrator programmes in general? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing to remember about perpetrator programmes is what they're not. So they're not anger management, they're not therapy, they're not um, uh, parenting programmes. They're specifically behavioural change programmes to change the behaviours of perpetrators. Um, and that's a really important thing to remember because often people 
uh, will get sidetracked and think that what they're doing is a perpetrator programme when it's not. It's really important to make sure that it is a domestic abuse perpetrator programme or domestic violence perpetrator programme that you're doing. Um, there are some different ones around, but the ones that the courts should refer to and the ones that are used most in the UK are programmes that are accredited by a charity called Respect. Mm. Um, they're online, so you can look them up. They've got a helpline uh, and they'll, they regulate all the programmes in the UK and they have set standards that all programmes should follow. So if you're looking for a perpetrator programme, you can call them, they've got a helpline. And also, if your partner's on a programme and you want to know more, you can call them as well. Uh, they also do work with male victims, so um, they're quite a good charity to find out more about perpetrator programmes. Um, there's not that many around, which is a problem, um, which is why people often, if they can't get onto a perpetrator programme, will end up doing something like anger management instead. Right. So, uh, but recently there has been a lot of noise in the media about doing more perpetrator work mm. um, and people want that included in the new domestic abuse bill. So uh, I guess we'll have to see if that happens. Yes, no, thank you. Um, so do you have any knowledge of the success rate for the perpetrator programmes and probably more specifically the one that you're, you're talking about? Yeah. Um, so what I was told when I first started working there, so back in 2011, is that generally a third of the people who complete will stop using abuse and violence altogether. Mm -hmm. A third will stop using the, you know, the worst violence and then a third there'd be no change at all um for i mean there has been some recent reports so there's the drive project the results of their evaluation came out quite recently and that's been in the news what they found is that the police noticed a 30 percent reduction in offending right. um so i suppose it's kind of the same about a third of the people who are going through and there's also there was a big report and uh, a mirabelle report which took years uh, years and years um for them to do and that was a big study on perpetrators and victims in programs and um from what i could see you know that's that's kind of the success rate but also programs take about six months Right. So it's 26 sessions you attend once a week. So not everyone finishes. Um, I was trying to look up uh, the statistics for that and I think I saw about 35% of people who um, are referred to a programme actually finish. Mm. Uh, and the thing is, is that people would say, well, it's too long, you know, it shouldn't it should be shorter and then more men would finish it but this is you know work it's not a quick fix at all because a lot of time you're looking at sort of an entrenched behavior and and the reasons for that behavior um you know power and control that's what it's based on um 
So it takes a long time to change those behaviours and views that someone could have had for their entire life. So six months, uh, you know, that's that's how it <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm I'm assuming like what you've just said is that it is based on you know somebody referring them to it. It's not their choice to go on to it. Is that right? Um, no, you can refer yourself. So the main routes of referral are either from social services, CAFCAS, uh, and or self-referrals. Mm-hmm. A few, there are a few pilot projects around where police could refer or doctors could refer. Um, I never really worked worked with that, but I know that there has been some pilot programs that have taken referrals from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the CAFCAS referrals, which is what I dealt with most was usually when um, uh, the dad is taking mum to court to have contact with the children. She says there's domestic abuse. CAFCAS would do a report and they can recommend the programme possibly. Mm. And then the court would need to order it. Then you'd be referred to a programme. If you do it that way, then the programme is free. Mm. Uh, It's paid for by sort of um well department of education it was paid for um or by a, CAF, a contract with CAFCAS with the program provider right um so yeah that but you can ref- you can refer yourself um that mm. it's not a case of just because you want to do the program you'll get on it yeah um because it's a behavioral change program you must have behavior that you know needs to change, mm. otherwise it's not going to change. Yeah. So as much as you could refer yourself, you want to do it, you're willing to pay, or if the court said you've got to do it, if you don't say, admit, you know, I have done these things and I need to change, you're not going to get on a programme, or not a reputable one anyway. Mm. Um, there's got to be some behaviour that they can work with and can change yeah no that's great um so how about after um a perpetrator program so you say around uh, six months and some you know somebody's completed that program is there some kind of probation period so i'm kind of thinking like are they still in touch with maybe the program leaders do they not like keep an eye on them but make sure that they're still on course if that makes sense um i there was um kind of a voluntary um follow-on program that people could go on but it was so poorly attended that um it didn't (laughs) it just stopped happening um there isn't i'm afraid any way for the perpetrator really um although i would have thought if they felt their need and they wanted to speak to the facilitator i'm sure that could probably happen but the main thing is is that respect accredited programs have to have an integrated partner support program working alongside it and they offer support to a woman for a year right uh, usually so the report the um, support for the victim does carry on way after the program and I would say that's probably especially important for people that are still together Mm-hmm. Uh, if their partner attends the program um so you know it's voluntary for the the victim if they if they want to do that 
but that support is there for, for longer than the programme went. No, that's great. Thank you. So we've, we've had a few questions in. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully you'll be able to bring some clarity and I'll read them as they've been written. Um, I feel there needs to be more varied programmes. I went on a, the separated parents one, as did my mother, who was my abuser and was seeking contact. It wasn't, it wasn't appropriate at all and was a pointless exercise. What alternatives could or should we have been offered in a parent-child situation? So I know it's not uh, completely linked, but I guess um, it's flagged up something for that individual mm. about, you know, programmes in general. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem again, is that, you know, this was probably what they call an SPIP. Um, so, or, or a PIP, which is a parenting information program or separated parent programs they can be. And that, you know, is it, just what it calls itself an information program. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that that's kind of one of the problems that we have with perpetrator programs is that, you know, there's not very many about also they tend to be just for male perpetrators. Although, you know, we have, I have seen female perpetrators be worked on, but that's usually on a one-to-one -one basis. Mm. And probably I would have said there would have been nothing out there that mm. would have been suitable for a mother to attend um, a programme. And, you know, I, some of that, I suppose, about is about money then because you know there were quite a few things that the charity that I worked with would have liked to have done mm. have other programs that were for other you know areas for uh, female perpetrators um, we really wanted to set up um, another program that would have been for LGB yeah. um, perpetrators and victims but we just um, couldn't get the money I think couldn't get the money out or the you know the people to go on it uh, a lot of the programs you know they're funded by CAFCAS which when I worked with them would only fund male perpetrator programs mm. um, or there's local authorities that fund it and uh, to a certain extent they they kind of set the rules so unfortunately that was probably all they could offer in in that situation I mean, it seems like with any, any kind of programmes, it, it depends on the local authority or the local mm. charity or organisation that are able to connect with um, the local services in the area to be able to provide it, which I find quite frustrating, especially when, I don't know, you know, you want to recommend certain programmes to people or you think it might be beneficial, but then you find out it's not in their area um, yeah. and you sometimes it's like that would make a difference to that person and but it's just not accessible um although i don't think an online version is is suitable either i don't think there is anything for perpetrator programs on the online side of things is there i mean possibly they could it might be possible to do something to do with skype i wonder mm. but what they found is that group work programs is what works best because then the perpetrators are held to account by the people around them mm -hmm. um, and um, and it, they do things like role plays and things like that that, that only work in a group yeah. and uh, I mean that's what they found is the most effective I mean we, you can do one-to-one -one work 
that's what we had to do with people who needed a translator or mm. when we did do female perpetrator work it was on a one-to-one Mm. but it's it's seen as not as effective as group work programs mm. and for you to run a group work program you need at least i guess we used to say say 15 perpetrators mm. on that program it is quite difficult to maybe get 15 female perpetrators in that one area or or 15 um you know abusive adults or uh, we did have um, a program that was for young people so, yeah. and we also had um, a program that was for um, uh, Muslims so we you know sometimes you can get a few different programs but the you know the provisions not out there for everyone unfortunately mm. um, and the thing is when you're looking at risk um, uh, and risk of domestic violence the only proven way that there is to reduce someone's risk is by a perpetrator program so yeah it's very frustrating I, I was the person who would pick up the phones basically where I used to work and I would get people on the phone who really needed the perpetrator program they needed the help and it's very frustrating to just say that there's nothing you yeah. can provide and it leaves people stuck Mm. um you know we're nothing we're nowhere to go um so sometimes that is when you get people going to programs that are not quite quite right um and i guess what's important is if you're in court proceedings and your um partner is referred to a program um, that's not suitable you then don't want the court to be thinking well they've done a program so now it's all right to yeah. have contact uh, and that that's a that's the major problem mm. with um with the perpetrator programs within family courts mm. is that judges will often see a completion of a perpetrator program as you know oh it's all right now yeah i mean programs should re always give final reports that should yeah. be given to CAFCAS and going to court but uh yeah the danger is it's just perceived as a, a tick box exercise that okay they've done a program and that's it they're fine they can now have whatever contact they want you know, yeah I mean as it were it, it, it's a real it's a real difficult one isn't it because I completely see how the courts would do that and I guess maybe it's also the fact that the courts need training on on that front themselves not be dependent on a report um, or the completion of a, of a program because I think also when something's new like I don't know I've been on courses before for example I'm, I'm on Slimming World right now so I'm this is a really bad comparison but I know because I'm going every single week that I'm going to be a, a good girl um, <laughs> or attempt to be a good girl. But I know that as soon as I finish that, then it kind of will run away with itself as I put on weight again. So <laughs> it's also like in a way that I have to change my behavior with that side and I'm trying to relate yeah. to it as much as possible True. here. But it's yeah. so easy to just fall back into the old habits or the ways that you actually know uh, what mm. you think is the correct way of of life i guess i don't know if that makes any sense really bad yeah no, I, there, but. yeah that's right i mean but the, the 
the drive project report that came out recently um, where the police showed a 30% reduction mm. in offending that carried on for a year after the program they'd completed the program yeah so but that kind of change takes a lot of work and it a lot of challenging it's you know you, you're not um it's not a group of perpetrators sitting around a table going oh i've done this or oh you know oh, it's terrible what's happened that, that's not what it is at all it's um it's hard work they have mm -hmm. homework <laughs> they have homework they have it's very challenging and um another thing where i used to work in dvip they felt very strongly that there should be a woman's voice in the room right. so one of the facilitators would always be a woman mm -hmm. um so that you know there it's a way of getting the women's voices heard within that group mm. uh, i think that's really important yeah no I, yeah i agree with you actually and especially like learning to i don't know it could be respect thing as well couldn't it and mm. we just don't know yeah. the back backgrounds of of people got another question um yes, how okay. <laughs> how did the referral process happen for perpetrator programs and were victims listened to as part of this okay well i mean so referral you could self-refer which would mean you'd kind of call up have a, a discussion over the phone then you'd go in for a suitability assessment um and then or if you're in family courts then CAFCAS would do a report and if the judge agreed with the CAFCAS report and made an order you'd then be referred or a local authority would refer you so all of those routes the perpetrator would have to have a suitability assessment right uh, so the things they'd be looking at is well their willingness to attend for six months once a week um, and also again that thing where they have to be admitting some behavior to be going on the program mm. another thing is is that before he can start on the program he had to give us details of all his partners and ex-partners mm. and the integrated um, support would then proactively call all of the partners or ex-partners um, and that's something that I used to volunteer and help with so it would mean yeah we'd phone them up and we'd say your partner or ex-partner that you haven't seen for five years or or whatever is um, is starting a program we'd just tell them a bit about the program and then we'd offer them support mm. and they can choose whether they want to have that support or not it's totally voluntary on their part usually it would mean telephone support Mm. So we'd call them up, we'd say, well, how often do you want us to call? We'll call you every week or we'll call you every month. Um, and it would be just a part of it, just sort of checking in to see that, you know, no further abuse is, ha you know, what's happening yeah. at home. And if, or some of it could be if he discloses something in the session. So they would have to do, perpetrators would have to do like a check-in at the beginning of the session where they should. Um, talk about any recent abuse right. um 
so if they disclose something we would then go back to the partner or ex-partner to talk about that and see if you know they need any support uh women we were offered the chance of going into a group but um kind of quite you know not i think it was about a less than a quarter wanted to do that it was about 20 percent that wanted to do a group or some people would come in and do face to face but that's another thing about the respect accredited programs is that part of that accreditation means that they must have that integrated support and the facilitators of the perpetrator program would have meetings with the women support service to make sure that you know the the victims being listened to and if they disclose any abuse that's brought up with the perpetrator in the program it should be like an integrated response and um if your partner or ex-partner you know is on a program you should be hearing from the program and you know if you if you don't (laughs) then i would say give them a ring and find out what's going on Mm -hmm. um or you know it's perhaps not an accredited program but it's and another thing is that you know don't feel like you have to engage with that if you don't want to and just do as much or as little as you want if you just want to talk to someone on the phone once a month then that's fine um it's not compulsory or anything like that and they're there to support um victims or past victims and they can do things like signpost you to other services if you need it Mm. um if you know things really get out of hand you know they can help you with injunctions or um anything like that and it's a really important part of accredited Mm. programs that you know, victims have the support and that perpetrators are held to account for their behaviour and it's the victims that are most able to tell you about that and also most able to tell you whether um, it the abuse has stopped yeah as it should do I suppose it's a good way of finding out and offering that support then just sort of is it, it gives you that way really that contact I mean I don't know how I would feel if, you know, you maybe even 10 years down the line, you get a phone call saying your ex-partner. Yeah. I just don't even, I could not even comprehend what you would feel in that moment, whether, you know, so I think it is definitely there that support is needed. Um, I've got another question. Um, did perpetrators get flagged up if they were repeatedly um, talk? Um, I think we're taking someone back to court. Yeah. yeah. So, did perpetrators yeah. get flagged up if they were repeatedly taking someone back to court? Is the impacts on the victim emotionally and financially taken into consideration? So, I mean, that's probably more about um, your family court side. So, mm. you know, what do you think? I about? mean, absolutely, they should be. Um, and certainly where I worked in DVIP, well, you know, we would be very concerned about that. Um, DVIP, I worked in the family court team, which, um, so we were involved more in the risk assessments that are used in court or risk assessments that are used by social services. And we'd usually, we'd be more involved in a case that was in court and 
you know people use the court system to continue their abuse and they should mm. absolutely be um talked about that on the program and you know also if they're not um paying child maintenance that should be brought up in the program that is a form of continuing financial abuse if they're not paying child maintenance and that's absolutely something that should be addressed on a program um and the main thing i think that should always come first really is the child in this Mm. when you're in family court proceedings you've got a, a child there and um, everything you do should have that in mind that, you know, that a child, uh, you know, and the mother and to a certain extent the child is being dragged into court and it can be years and years in court and that's not good for anybody. Um, it's not good for the victim. It's not good for the child. So absolutely that is something that should be taken into consideration and I did know of cases where when a perpetrator was in family court and they'd finished the program they then dropped their um claims the cases right yeah because uh yeah I wouldn't hold up a lot of (laughs) a lot of hope but it hurt you know it has happened and Mm. the things that they should be learning about on the program about respect about parenting because the program will cover parenting it covers you know respect uh respectful attitudes and how you treat women and so continuing abuse whether it's emotionally financially through the court process should absolutely be uh, flagged up and if you are contacted by uh, an in the women's support service and integrated support service then that's something that you need to make them aware of uh, mm. so that it can be brought up in the program and that's why it is good as much as it would be very weird to be phoned up five years yeah. after you split up from someone um, uh, I think you know maybe you'd need a couple of weeks to get your head around that but um mm. that's why it's good thing to you know even just engage with a little bit and say you know this is he's still not paying maintenance or he's taking me back to court for like the third time and or fifth time and now he's doing a program and also he's if he's ordered to do the program that means you're going to have at least a six months delay on Mm. your case in court um in fact it's going to be more than that because usually there's a waiting list and then there's a report to be done afterwards and I totally understand how you know why mums don't want that um but uh, I it's better that they're on an accredited program that has a chance of actually doing something than being on an anger management program that lasts a couple of days yeah a certificate and the court thinks that everything's then all right and you know it's better to to do it yeah I think maybe even you know just thinking about it I mean I've spoken to so many people that have told me the 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 price that they have paid but because of that continuous of going into court and I thought you know I I was bad and I spent about ten thousand pounds and but there's people out there have spent over fifty thousand pounds 
and yeah. it, it's completely shocking and it's like at what point you know do we do perpetrators take that on and, and realize what their actions are? and actually if you think about it that's not the best interest of the children because it's taken all that financial um even security or you know resources for them them away and it's not a case of um fighting for you know the residency or or anything like that but it's looking at the bigger picture once you've agreed on some contact unless there's a significant issue uh between birth then then it needs to go back to court i agree but you know they're just continuously just take you back no matter what it's mm. it's really I difficult mean, and you know at what yeah. point is someone going to say actually you know you should pay that money back for putting that person through that <laughs> I feel like I should have compensation and I'm pretty much sure a lot of yeah. other I mean well. <laughs> the court the court can make an order and I, ha I have seen it the court can make an order that you're not allowed to make take the course case back to court again it's like mm -hmm. that is the end of it and I would say if someone's referred to a pro perpetrator program they either don't finish it don't attend or don't show any changes then that is the point at which you should say that's enough yeah. because a perpetrator program is the only way to change someone's abusive behavior mm -hmm. so if that's not going to happen then that's you know no more orders no more contact so that's very controversial i know but just my opinion um you know it's about the child's rights and the mm. child should have a right not to be forced to see an abusive parent mm. um so i would say i reckon perpetrator program if they can't get on a perpetrator program because they're not um admitting um the abuse or um they don't finish it or they don't make the changes there's the only other thing you could possibly do is have a risk assessment um, and that's a whole another other thing that I could talk for much longer about <laughs> um, but yeah so if you're in court proceedings perpetrator program is probably going to be one of the last things you should do before um, the court should be putting a stop to it yeah well, it's very it's very interesting, isn't it? So let's get into some of some more finer detail, really. So, do you know how much um, the perpetrator programs cost? You know, to run, um, and and who the provider is of it. Is it like a, a training? Pro, you know, like they get people get trained to run the program. All right. Um, well, so they're kind of there are minimum standards so there's the respect standards that they have um and there should be you know a woman's voice in the room a facilitator the facilitator should definitely be highly trained it's it's not an easy job i i really didn't want to do it i have to say i was much happier to be on the phone or to be sat with the paperwork i really didn't want to be in the room with 15 versions of my ex-husband um, so it's it's yeah they're definitely trained they usually their backgrounds are from either um sort of probation mental health uh those kind of backgrounds were usually people who are facilitators mm -hmm. i did meet someone who was a trainer 
um, and that was kind of their job and they were asked by a council to run a program and he gave up after two sessions because he's not the same as teaching is really not it's holding someone accountable for their behavior and that's even different from therapy really so they should you know they need to have skills I would say um when someone's referred through CAFCAS or through the local authorities usually uh, so they pay for it Mm -hmm. so if you're in court proceedings then you don't pay for the perpetrator program um and each perpetrator program charges what they like really there's no sort of set rate respect doesn't set any rate Mm -hmm. uh where i used to work they had kind of a sliding scale depending on what you could afford Mm -hmm. but i think part of having you know that respect and that want to change paying for it I suppose people could have argued it could could be part of that way that you show respect and show um, your willingness to change and that you're willing to pay for it. Mm. On the other hand, there are quite a few people when I spoke to on the phone, they would pay any money, any money, let me on your programme. I haven't done anything wrong she's lying, I didn't do anything, but I'll pay you as much, anything so I can do the programme. Um, and that's kind of, you know, uh, a programme that shouldn't, you know, shouldn't do that really. It's um, it's about changing their behaviour and everything. I think when I, sort of the period of time when I worked with within my perpetrator program charities i knew of two that went under um in say maybe five years one in essex um and yeah it's hit by that same funding problem uh, that all domestic violence charities i guess are having but i guess the good news is now that more people are starting to see that perpetrator programs are a valid way to go mm-hmm. uh, when i started working there in 2011 some people were actually quite angry that um, we were doing it because they saw it as taking money away from women so taking money away from refugees and putting it into perpetrators instead. Uh, I mm. you know, I can see why people would say that, but I think people now are seeing that, you know, perpetrators should be held accountable for what they did. So that's part of it. And also, um, programmes have shown that, you know, they're more effective than just working with victims because perpetrators are going to go on and have how many relationships five six relationships they're abusive in everyone if you and working with one victim is not going to stop him going on and having however many other partners and being abusive to them Mm. so it's a yeah it's a valid thing sorry i mean i was just thinking on your your sort of line of thought there as well is if we change our thought process on it as well that actually your the perpetrator programs there putting money into the perpetrators but it's not it's not just that is it because you're supporting the women who have experienced that abuse from that perpetrator so it's 
it's actually beneficial to to both the victim and the perpetrator yeah i agree with what you said there i think agree with what you said about um you know that perpetrator is going to go on to have those multiple relationships and just leave a a trail really of Mm. things that have not is not changed in that behavior whereas obviously that program is going to be the thing that changes that behavior so it's quite interesting really to sort of dissect it (laughs) yeah i think a lot of people don't realize that programs have that integrated support within them Mm, Um, and it's that's really important um i think any program that you hear about it should have that support within it um it's a way of keeping the perpetrator accountable it's a way of keeping the victim safe it's um i think that's a really important part of it and i think a lot of people don't realize that that's what they do Mm. Um, I didn't I didn't even think about it you know I didn't even think about what would be there for for the victim or even that you would go to that extent of bringing ex-partners up as well and to be honest I think you know I suppose you'd it'd be nice to know that because you've mm. they've taken that step or whatever it might be um so do you think it's a good use of money then from since we're talking about <laughs> putting money into yeah. perpetrators sort of thing do you think it's a good yeah. use of money considering the success rate then do you think it's worth it <laughs> um i think it's the only thing that we have mm. that will that can reduce the risk of a perpetrator um so in that case if there's a chance that it can work for even a third then it's worth it um i think it is kind of scandalous what's happened about refugees absolutely mm. money shouldn't be taken away from that uh but you know this is a way to stop um repeat victims and um yeah it's kind of it's it's the best we have so So, um, sort of going on to you as a as a person because you've supported domestic abuse victims then so thinking about the victims um Mm -hmm. through through the family court system what have you learned yeah. from the whole, all of that, from de- from the perpetrator programs to then supporting the victim? You've got completely done one side and then the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I saw, what I dealt with a lot more than the actual people was the pa- paperwork or the people on the phone. I did de- deal with as well. Um, and from what I can see is, you know, it's incredibly stressful. It's very stressful for the for the victims. Um, it's full of, you know, ridiculous situations, ridiculous views from judges, from Kafkas, from perpetrators. Um, you know, and the thing is, is that I would see stuff every single day um you know i'd see uh judges say he only put his hand around her neck he didn't strangle her that you know that was one of my all-time bugbears that i would see every day you know strangulation strangulation you know and this thing about oh well 
you know, maybe he might have asked her to have sex when she didn't want to or, or had sex when she didn't want to, you know, actually that's great. Um, uh, you know, I, we're not discussing that. It's historical. Well, everything's historical. And yeah, I, it, I, yeah, I hope there is a way out of the mess, but I can't, I don't know what it is. And you know, there's been stuff in the paper recently about a judge saying, well, because the mum didn't fight back, it wasn't rape. Um, you know, I was not surprised to hear it at all. I've heard that several times. Um, all I could do in the situation, I guess, was flag it up to my manager who would try and flag it up with someone. Yeah. But it, it's really hard. And, you know, for victims who are going through that, I sometimes I'm at a loss for words for what to say to them really because it, it's awful and there's no you know no way around it and all you can hope is that they can get some good support from somewhere mm. um either from charities or you know get a solicitor um mm. get a Mackenzie friend anything you can do that will help you through that time yeah. and you know I'm a big believer that what we shouldn't be talking about is father's rights or anyone's rights other than the child mm. um and that that really should be come first for everyone um no i can't yeah. I completely agree i mean i don't know if you've um i've been following the emily hunt case i don't know yeah. if you've been following that and the the fact that really it's about proving that you didn't give consent which mm is like, well, why don't we look at proving that consent was given? You know, it's, just, it's the same thing with flipping it around and we're just finding excuses for that type of behaviour. Um, well, let's let's move on to what you do now because we've spoken a bit right. about what you did <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. time ago now. So, so yeah. what, what's your work and, and what, what do you do now with your time then? Um, obviously, you still work in you know the domestic yeah. abuse sector. So, so what's your job yeah. role now? Um, well, I, um, me and two of my colleagues, we set up our own company Mm -hmm. And um, I run a team of domestic abuse experts, which a lot of people may not know exists, but they are out there. And um, the main work I would say that we do is that um, we do assessments that are used by social services or by courts, the family court. Uh, our clients are generally social workers or solicitors. And what an assessor will do is interview the perpetrator, interview the victim and do a risk assessment. So mm -hmm. they're looking at how risky he is, what the risk is to the victim, what the risk is to the children. And then like a risk management plan about how we can reduce the risk. I, and what we, I deal with now are the worst cases if social services are involved and they're taking the parents to court to remove the children, that's the worst cases. Mm -hmm. um, and I just mostly I am dealing with social workers and solicitors now, so I don't have that input that I used to have with perpetrators and victims anymore, apart from to read all the paperwork, which you know I'm much happier to deal with paper. <laughs> paper, I have to say, uh, but kind of 
on a personal level, I've got more into sort of looking at Twitter, which I never really used to do because I've tried to sort of tweet for the company and uh, it's opened up this area of learning from uh, victims. Mm. I was in an abusive uh, marriage for 15, oh, more than that, I think. No, oh, yeah, about 15 years. And I, I hadn't really touched on that for quite a long time. Um, I haven't thought about it for a while. Um, and knowing what I know about the family court system and what I know are in Kafka's reports and I know what judges are saying I really want to do more to help people who are going through family court Mm. my kind of wish or something I suppose is that I could start a charity that would help uh, domestic abuse victims who are going through court I'm Mm. not sure whether I'll ever have the funds to do it or how, but that's what I'm looking at the moment. I've done Mackenzie friend training Mm. and I'm just looking around to see what, what can I do? Because uh, it's a terrible situation and I have kind of a lot of knowledge. I I probably used to read about 10 Kafkas reports a week. So I know you know, I, I know it really well. Mm. Um, so we'll have to see. Clearly a lot of um, valuable, you know, experience that you've gained over some kind of years and not just the experience that you've got in the sector, but obviously that lived experience, which gives you that empathy mm. and understanding really. So thank you for that. So obviously you've mentioned this company. You haven't mentioned the name. So <laughs> tell, yes, tell us the name <laughs> of the company and also how people um, would get in touch with you if they feel like they needed yes. to after listening to this today. <laughs> yeah. So the company is called DV Act. Okay. So I'm not very good at marketing or PR, am I? <laughs> I can't even say the name of my own company. Um, so it stands for Domestic Violence Assessment Consultancy and Training. Um, we deliver services to social workers and solicitors, mm-hmm. but um, I've recently put something out about how um, families need to be supported if there is a lockdown over the coronavirus. Um, yes. So I'm trying to get us out there a little bit more. Um, I'm learning at that. If people want to get in touch with me, I'm so happy to talk to anyone. Uh, you can email me at info at dvact.org. You can look at our website, which is dvact.org. So it's quite easy. Um, yeah. No, that's great. Well, I will put all the information anyway in the description, but it's good to hear it from you as well. Um, so that leaves me to say thank you so much for giving your valuable time on talking about um, perpetrator programs and your experience, which is you know very clearly valuable, um, and it's certainly given me a lot to think about and you know maybe not overlook certain aspects of it as well because all you you can get into that moment of just you know sort of being in the victim mode of thinking that that's never going to work or that's never going to yeah. solve it, but you know hearing about the outcomes and you know the only thing really to help change behavior it is um important so thank you for sharing that with us all today um 
The next hashtag abuse talk interview is actually going to be on the 6th of May. <laughs> so I can't believe I'm saying that because we're recording this at the beginning of March. <laughs> so okay. the next one is on the 6th of May and you can join in on the YouTube channel. If you're not a subscriber of the YouTube channel, then click, click subscribe so that you can be notified of any new videos and any more of the hashtag abuse talk interviews. And also head over to hashtag abuse talk on Twitter now, where we're going to continue the discussion <clears throat> about perpetrator programs. That's my voice going, but we're going to continue the, the, the discussion because it's actually something that we've never spoken about on the Twitter chat. And we definitely need to talk about what we've heard from Claire today, what we've learned and also our opinions on it. And remembering that, our platform is not to judge or anything. We've all got our own individual opinions. So let's get tweeting about that. Um, and again, Claire, just a huge thank you. I hope you're going to join us over on Twitter and definitely join in the yeah. company as well and, and let us know all about you over there as well because it would be really lovely to have you, um, especially if anybody has any extra burning questions. <laughs> um, we, I'm sure you'll be able to answer them, won't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So thank you, um, everyone. Oh, did you want to say something? Sorry. Oh, no, just I'm really happy to talk to anyone or email anyone. I work from home. I never get to speak to anyone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really happy for any questions. So basically, everyone's going to like hound you and message you now so that you're not, you don't feel isolated <laughs> working from home. Yeah. No, well, a big thank you. And for everybody, just remember that together we're louder and we can make a difference by talking, by listening and by discussing everything to do with domestic abuse. So thank you. As you know, we've been switching the podcast up from the older YouTube content and the newer interviews and we're finally up to date. So on April the 16th, there will be the next podcast episode and it won't be an interview. It will be more like a conversation or a discussion. And then on May the 6th, we'll still be doing the live YouTube broadcast around 7.15, 7.30pm. So keep an eye out for the time for that one. And it will also be on the 7th of May on the podcast. And that one is going to be with Zoe Parsons and we're discussing narcissism. So that's quite an interesting interview. There were so many questions that we've had to split the interview into two. Um, maybe what we should have done with this one, actually, as you can see, it's been quite a lengthy one. But again, informative and important. You can also listen to the hashtag Abuse Talk podcast on Access Northwest Radio Station. And that's on Wednesdays at 8pm, Saturdays 2pm, Mondays at 5am and that's GMT. I also wanted to mention something that I've set up just to help self-employed and small businesses. It's a free group with the vision to help those people that are struggling through the outbreak of the COVID-19. So if you happen to be self-employed or have a small business, do come and join. There's support, networking, resources, opportunities and more. You can find it on Facebook. Finally, you've been listening to Jennifer Gilmore author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. You can find them both on Amazon. They're both free on Kindle Unlimited.
or go to jennifergilmore.com.